0: Episode number six. This week we're going to be touching on the topic of cooking methods. Uh, starting off with the three methods of heat transfer, then we're going to talk about the three main types of cooking methods, and we're going to break down those three types of cooking methods into actual 12 cooking techniques to review. So it should be a pretty exciting and very scientific based podcast this week. Uh, before we get started, Do you want to listen to one ad from our new sponsor, Karma Project? Alright, so, cooking methods. So what does cooking actually mean when we're talking about the culinary industry? So basically, cooking is the process of applying heat to food to change the properties of the food. And of course, there's many reasons why we would want to change the properties of the food. When you think about something along the lines of chicken obviously we change the properties to make the food safer to eat uh, when you think about foods that are more fibrous like vegetables it makes when we cook vegetables it makes the foods easier to eat and to digest and uh, also once the food is cooked in some foods actually the makes it easier for the body to extract the nutrients from the foods of course when we cook foods we also change the flavor uh, which can be very important depending on what kind of food we are uh, actually working with so and there's many other reasons uh, that we cook foods obviously but you know when talking uh, about this in the culinary aspect and the way that I teach this that's one of the main things that we uh, discuss in terms of why we actually would cook foods so when we think about cooking, when we apply heat to foods, there are certain elements that can change of the food. Um, we talked about chicken just a minute ago. Of course, the microorganisms or microorganisms that are harmful in the chicken can be killed. Uh, basically, for the most part, almost all microorganisms, when they're heated above 135, uh, most of the microorganisms can be uh, killed, And of course, you know, one of the big things in the culinary industry is the temperature danger zone or TDZ, which is 41 degrees to 135 degrees Fahrenheit. Obviously, we won't, don't want to keep foods in that temperature danger zone for any period of time because that's when uh, bacteria will most rapidly uh, grow. And uh, by getting foods out of that temperature danger zone, uh, by cooking them, we start to destroy most harmful microorganisms. And then obviously, when you think about certain meats, which have connective tissue, when we apply heat to them, uh, that connective tissue breaks down, it becomes tender, and it makes the food much more enjoyable and easier to eat, as well as uh, can make it easier for the body to digest. Um, Also, when we cook proteins, the proteins coagulate, Um, and what happens to some proteins, most proteins when they're heated is they actually begin to solidify and they become firm. Um, this is important for certain proteins such as eggs, which we would not want to eat in a raw state. Once we heat them, the proteins coagulate, they start to firm up and becomes the egg that we're familiar with, fried eggs or scrambled eggs. Okay. And then, uh, we talked about fibers, Uh, can break down. We know that fibers, um, that's what makes up the cell structure of most plants, uh, and those can be broken down um, through heat. Uh, And obviously, with vegetables, they become more tender. And for some vegetables, it's easier for the body to absorb uh, the nutrients or some nutrients actually aren't even released in some vegetables until they are actually heated. Also, when we talk about starches and they are heated, when starches are heated, they absorb liquids, Um, certain starches like flours and cornstarch, they go through a process called gelatinization when they are heated, which is when they absorb the liquid and the starches begin to swell up. Uh, This is important for things um, like pasta because once the uh, starches swell up, it makes the pasta a lot more uh, easier to eat. Also, if you were to add um, a roux into a sauce, uh, the reason that the roux thickens a sauce is because the starches absorb the liquid and swell up, and they take up more space in the sauce, and that's what actually thickens it. All right, and then uh, you know one of the, one of the last things that happens when we apply heat uh, to foods is that they change in flavor. Uh, some of you have, may have heard the term the Maillard reaction. Uh, that's basically caramelization of sugars. Um, and that's an important thing for some um, foods. Uh, the sugar's brown, which results in a more richer, more complex aroma and flavor. So those are just six of the things that can happen when heat is applied to foods. Now, how do we get heat to those foods? So there's three main methods of heat transfer. The first one is called conduction. This is the transfer of heat from one object to another through direct contact. So if you think about a saute pan, if you're cooking food inside the saute pan, that's an example of conduction. The heat goes to the pan, the pan touches the food, the heat is transferred through conduction. Basically, the heat goes from the pan to the food through the molecules, Uh, through conduction, the the method of heat transfer obviously starts on the outside and works its way onto the inside. What's interesting about conduction is the type of material or the pan that you actually use when it comes to cooking with this method of heat transfer. Uh, The example that I always give is copper. Copper is one of the best methods, uh, best materials, uh, best conductors of heat. Um, That's why if you look at you know, back before uh, many years ago, in certain kitchens, you may see them have mainly all copper pots uh, hanging up, um, which the, one of the main reasons they use them is they're great conductors of heat. Now, they also required a lot of great, you know, a lot of care, you had to take very good care of them. And obviously, in today's environment, copper is far more expensive than uh, you know, using stainless steel or something along those lines. And that's why you don't find copper as much. In kitchens anymore but copper is definitely uh, one of the best conductors of heat in terms of cooking. Ceramic on the other hand is a pretty poor conductor of heat so we don't really necessarily use that as much for cooking. Okay so that's conduction. The second method of heat transfer is called convection and this is how uh, heat travels uh, through a liquid and gas. Um, so if you think of an oven, that's an example of convection, um, heat transfer, a couple different types of convection. The first one is called natural convection. This is how neat, uh, I'm sorry, how heat naturally rises to the top of an oven and cooler air descends to the bottom. And basically that creates a natural airflow or natural convection, um, A second example of convection is called mechanical convection. So if we add a fan into that oven and we turn that fan on and it forces the air to move around, that's an example of mechanical convection. Or if you were cooking food in your pot, uh, you can help the flow of mechanical convection by putting in uh, a utensil and stirring your pot that's mechanically convecting uh, the food. Okay, so that's the second type of method of heat transfer. The third method of heat transfer is radiation. This is the transfer of heat energy through waves. There is no conductor needed for this type of uh, heat transfer. So an example here would be a toaster oven that you might have uh, where the elements heat up. When you turn it on, you put the food in there. There's no direct contact, but the heat comes down in waves, and that's what heats up your food or cooks your food. Um, A broiler, if you're familiar with broilers, especially like in steakhouses, that's another example of uh, radiation. Of course, the other type of radiation that many of us are familiar with is using a microwave. It's not truly a heat radiation. Basically, uh, microwaves are sent out uh, when food is heated inside the microwave. What happens is the water molecules in the food are heated up. And then basically through the process of those molecules moving very, very fast, they create friction, and that's what uh, starts to actually heat the food up. All right, so that's our three different ways, three methods that we can actually transfer heat uh, to the food. All right, now there's three main cooking methods, and within those three main cooking methods, we can break down 12 specific techniques. So real quick, I'll just tell you the three main cooking methods. Um, and then from there, I'm going to go back and revisit them and kind of break down the, the specific techniques that you would find inside each one of those uh, cooking methods. So the first one is called dry heat cooking. Um, and you can the foods are cooked using any of the three methods of heat transfer and of, obviously there is no moisture. This is dry heat. What's great about dry heat cooking is foods can be seared to create browning and/or a crust, and that helps with the flavoring of the foods. Um, More often than not, you're gonna tend to find foods that are a little bit more tender in nature. Um, You know, with the exception of course, if you're roasting or baking, you may have um, foods that are not so tender. But more often than not, you will find a little bit more tender type foods in this category. The second type of uh, uh, cooking method is the moist heat cooking. Uh, Obviously by the name here you know we have the use of a liquid or steam and that's what actually cooks the food. What's great about moisture is it's a much more effective heat transfer method. Uh, Here's an example that I would give to students and that is Think about a 350 degree oven. You could open the door. You could probably put your hand in there for a little bit of time. Uh, while Although it's hot, it's something that you could do uh, and wouldn't necessarily hurt you unless you left it in there for a long period of time. On the other hand, if I had a pot of water cooking and even at only 185 degrees, you'd be pretty hesitant to put your hand in there knowing how badly it's going to hurt. So there's a great example of how much better moisture is as a uh, cooking method. Uh, moist heat methods work well for pretty much all types of food, uh, but they work excellent for more tougher cuts of meat and more fibrous vegetables uh, to help break down cartilage and the fibers, uh, the tough fibers in vegetables. And then our third type of cooking method is a combination of the two. So it's called the combination cooking method. Uh, And in this method, you always are going to start with your dry heat first, searing the meat, and then you will add in moisture. So then we're cooking by the moist heat method. So it's a combination of the two. All right. So going back to dry heat cooking, within dry heat cooking, We've got one, two, three, four, five, six different techniques that fall under dry heat cooking. The first one is sautéing, and most of you probably have heard of this term. Uh, What you know, what we teach in the school is uh, in French, sauté means to jump, or translates to the to the meaning of to jump. Uh, When you saute, uh, we are using a pretty high heat and we tend to use a very small amount of uh, fat or oil. Uh, And the fat is the medium that moves the heat from the pan into the food. This is a pretty quick cooking technique and it's obviously going to be using conduction method. Uh, We are going to be using obviously something along the lines of a saute pan and for the most part, the foods that we're going to be using here are cut into smaller, more unified, unified uniformed size pieces uh, to help the uh, cooking process move a little bit faster. More often than not, uh, most often you're going to use pretty tender um, foods that can uh, cook pretty quickly. Um, because this is a pretty high heat method and we basically, when we're putting the foods into the pan, we are trying to move them so that they cook evenly. That's where the, that's what, when we say to jump, that's what we mean by that. What's interesting about sauteing is that it's very, very similar to stir frying. One of the main differences obviously is the cooking vessel. So when we stir fry, we're going to be using a wok. Um, and woks are actually very cool Methods of cooking um, if you've ever worked with one or you've seen one uh, they work very very well uh, Very quick cooking methods if you look at a lot of Asian foods that are cooked in walks most often They are cut very thin and small Same way as sauteing so that they cook pretty quickly uh, What's great about woks, though is that once you get them nice and hot they are heated up all the way almost all the way to the side And uh, one of the techniques that you see when using a wok is that you can cook foods on the bottom and then you can actually, using the wok tools, you can move the food that's cooking off to the side where it will pretty much stay warm and then you have the bottom open and you can add new foods in to cook. So the example here would be fried rice, right? So with the fried rice, used to make a lot of fried rice in one of the restaurants that I used to work at and uh, we would always add in our veggies, like uh, carrots, broccoli, onions, whatever, quickly cook those in a little bit of sesame oil. Then what we would do is add in our rice and uh, the rice was usually made the day before and allowed to uh, obviously cool down and dry out a little bit, which is very important when it comes to making fried rice. Uh, So then the rice would go in and we would cook that for a little bit And then uh, what we would do is we push the fried rice off to the side a little bit and you'd have a hole in the bottom. And in there, we would add in a little bit of scrambled egg and we would quickly cook that. Then bring it all back in together in the bottom of the wok, mix it up, and then season with the soy sauce, salt, pepper, and then go ahead and serve it. So woks are actually very cool uh, cooking vessels uh, to use. Uh, So that's sautéing. Our second method or cooking technique which falls under dry heat cooking method is called pan frying. This is definitely similar to sautéing but we're going to end up using a little bit more fat and uh, in this case here, the fat should come up about halfway up of the food product Uh, and the heat should not be on super high blast. Definitely want to have it turned down somewhat compared to sautéing. A lot of times when you pan fry, the foods have some kind of breading or coating on them. Um, so if you've ever, you know, seen, you know, chicken parmesan, a lot of times it is deep fried. But um, the way I try to do it when I can is I like to pan fry it. Um, you know, so you put the chicken in with the coating, the oil should come up halfway, you get a nice golden brown on one side, then you turn it over and you get your golden brown on the other side. Usually smaller pieces of food are pan fried, but you can also, uh Start the process of cooking larger pieces of food by pan frying. And then you can actually go ahead and pop them in the oven to finish them off. And once again, heat is being transferred through conduction in the pan frying cooking technique. Our third technique is called deep frying. And many people get this confused because when they think of deep frying, they think of that oil and they think of it as moisture. But fat obviously is not moisture. So deep frying is actually a dry heat cooking method, but there is a little bit of moist tea going on, which I'll explain in just a minute. So obviously, you know, with deep frying fat is the cooking medium. And this time the foods are completely submerged in the fat. And almost always when we deep fry foods are coated with something like flour, a breading or batter, uh, to protect the food on the inside and to add flavor and add texture, a crunch, uh, to the food product. What's important with deep frying and with basically any dry heat cooking method using fat as a cooking medium is that fat needs to be hot before you put in your food product, especially when it comes to deep frying. If the oil is not hot enough, it's going to seep into the inside of the food and uh, you're not going to get that crispiness that you're looking for. Um When you are cooking by the deep frying method, there's a couple different um, methods within deep frying. Uh, The first one is called the basket method. And if you've ever seen a deep fryer, you know, there's a basket and that's where you basically take your food, put it in the basket and you deep fry it. We have the double basket method. So that's where you're going to put your food in the one basket. You would drop it down And you'd put another basket over the top of that one so that whatever's inside would not flow up out of the oil and into the deep fryer you want to stay inside the basket. And then a third method um, would be what we call swimming method. And this might be a technique that you would use if you were to do, oh, let's say a beer battered fish or something, where if you were to drop in the food inside of a basket, what would happen is it would actually cook to the basket and the the batter would get left uh, or the food would get stuck to the basket. So in this method, you know you use no baskets. Basically, you hang on to the food near the end of the food product. You can use tongs, fingers, whatever, and then you slowly, uh, add, gently just put it into the oil, give it a second, kind of let it uh, start to uh, crisp up a little bit, and then it will start to float so it doesn't drop down to the bottom. So foods are actually cooked through convection here. And what's really interesting about this is... The inside of most foods that are deep fried are actually steamed. Once that crust is formed on the outside, it, prevent, it makes it as a barrier so that the oil does not get into the inside of the food. And what happens is the moisture uh, starts to get super hot on the inside of the food product, creates steam, and that steam is what actually cooks the food on the inside when you're deep frying. Okay. Our next technique in the dry heat cooking method is grilling. Most of us are familiar with that. So foods are cooked uh, using the radiation method. So we have heat energy waves and that heat energy is going to be coming from below the food, just like the grill that you might have at your house. And we can use coals, wood, flames, electric burners, whatever it might be. Those are heated. They send out radiation waves And those radiation waves, they go off in all directions. It's one of the bad things about grilling is you cannot control where the heat actually goes for the most part. Um, But regardless, the food is cooked through radiation waves. What's cool about grilling and why a lot of people enjoy it is those juices uh, that come out of foods when they're being cooked on the grill. They actually fall down onto the coals or the burners, whatever. And what happens is those juices turn to smoke. The smoke comes up, and that's what helps to flavor the foods that are being grilled. That gives it that grill flavor that we're familiar with. Now, the opposite of grilling is broiling. So, foods once again are cooked using the radiation method, but this time the heat source comes from above. Um, a lot of you probably have a broiler which is inside of your oven, some of you might not even know, but if you open up your oven and you look at the top of the oven, you may see a couple burners, uh, electric uh, burners up there, and when you go to cook your food, obviously, those burners will get super hot, radiation waves will come down, and they will begin to cook your food. Um, in restaurants, they have broilers. A lot of times they are, uh, are above the stoves and they're called salamanders. And a lot of times they're used to finish off, uh, foods or melt cheese or something along those lines. Now, some steak houses, and I had an opportunity it was one of my first jobs. I worked in a restaurant where we actually had a broiler that was made for cooking steaks. And these guys Get hot. I'm talking up around a thousand degrees hot. My one of my first jobs was I actually had to cook steaks in the in that broiler uh, on a Friday, pretty busy Friday Saturday night, and this was during the summer and it was hot. Um, but the great thing about these broilers that get that hot is they do a tremendous job of cooking steaks, of searing the outside while keeping the inside while warming it. Uh, So we can get that nice rare to medium rare temperature that some people enjoy with uh, steaks. Uh, Next method in dry heat is roasting. Um, And this is basically meaning one of two things. Uh, The first one that you're probably familiar with is roasting in an oven. So it's an enclosed space surrounded by hot, dry heat. Uh, The second is if you are familiar with rotisserie cooking or foods cooked over an open spit, that's what a roasting originally used to mean. So roasting can mean either one of those uh, things. And for the most part, what we teach in uh, culinary school is that roasting is pretty much, when you talk about foods, it would be mainly um, proteins, meats, proteins, chicken, pork, things like that. That would fall under the roasting uh, category. And um, when we compare roasting to baking, a lot of times the roasting temperatures are generally a little bit lower than uh, baking. And it's important when it comes to roasting that you do leave those foods uncovered because you want it to be hot, dry, heat for the most part. Now, there are times when you might need to cover a food product, but for the most part, if you cover it with foil, you are no longer truly roasting it. You're actually starting to use a steaming method because it's trapping the moisture in. Now, baking also falls in this category. That's the last um, um, method of uh, cooking technique and dry heat cooking. Um, Baking is similar to roasting. Same thing. Foods are surrounded by hot, dry air. But a lot of times when it comes to baking, we do have moisture added into the process. Um, And our foods that fall in this category are pretty much everything else besides Meats, such such as pastries, breads, vegetables, uh, sometimes we'll use the term baked fish, baked lasagna. I mean, there's a lot of different things. And you know what? When you go to a restaurant, you look on the menu, the, these terms are not going to be cut and dry like I'm talking here. You know, you may see roast vegetables, which sounds a little bit nicer than baked vegetables. But technically, when their students are learning, it's a good way to remember the difference between the two. Um Baking, the temperatures are going to be a little bit hotter than roasting. And you may also add in addition of a water bath. So if you were to do a baked creme brulee or something, you would probably add in a little bit of water uh, as well. Um, both, Both baking and roasting use convection and radiation to transfer heat to foods. Okay, so our second method is called the moist heat method, which we talked about is using liquids or steams to cook the food. Now, under moist heat cooking method, there are one, two, three, four different techniques we're gonna talk about. The first one we're gonna talk about is poaching. And some of you have probably heard of this before. Poaching eggs um, might be a great example. Um, foods are cooked in moisture, so there's a liquid, they're you almost always gonna be completely submerged. Now here we start to get down to actually some temperatures. And for poaching, the temperature range is generally 160 to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Definitely, you want to stay more down towards below 180. Uh, you, you You could think of this as almost a very warm bath. You should see very few bubbles, if any, coming up. Um, And poaching is definitely meant for very delicate foods. Um, What's great about poaching is it can help the foods keep their shape and keep the nice delicate texture. So fish, seafood, eggs, those are all examples of, of, of food products that would be poached. Breaking down poaching a little bit further, there's actually two different methods you can use. There's shallow poaching and there's submerged poaching. So When it comes to submerged poaching, it sounds just like it is. You would take your food and basically you would completely submerge it in the poaching liquid to cook it. Uh, So an example here would be if you were to ever poach maybe a whole fish or even eggs are completely submerged uh, when they are poached. The second method is called shallow poaching. And here, this is where we're going to have the food maybe come up about halfway the food product. And this is going to be more for uh, food such as eggs or maybe shrimp or vegetables, something along those lines. Uh, when, we're, when you're using this method, you almost always are going to cover the food product. Um, the term that we use is a cartouche, which basically is a parchment paper lid that you cut into a circle that fits right on top of the food in the pan. And then usually on top of that, you would put a cover and that way it keeps all the moisture inside. Because what's happening is the food that is touching the poaching liquid is actually being poached. But the, food, the part of the food that is not touching the liquid is actually being cooked by the steaming method. So it's a great way to cook very gentle items. Now, what's great about this method is after you take the food product out, you have this very flavorful liquid left behind. It's called a coussin. And basically, you could take that coussin and you could add in some cream. Uh, You could add in maybe a roux, a a cornstarch slurry, uh, anything, barmoyer. And basically, any of those those things I mentioned are thickeners. So you, you can thicken up the sauce a little bit. And then you would serve that sauce with the food. If you ever go out to eat and on the menu you see the term alanage, which means swimming or to swim, that's what has happened. They've taken the food, they've poached it, they've turned it into a liquid, and they've served the sauce with the food. So if you see shrimp alanage, you would know that that shrimp was poached and then they took the liquid that was left behind, turned it into a sauce, and served it. Now, speaking, uh, moving on here with uh, our moist tea cooking methods, we have simmering. So once again, foods have submerged in hot water. This time, our temperature range is anywhere from 185 to 205 degrees Fahrenheit. I use the term lazy bubbles. So you will see some bubbles coming up along the side to the surface um, usually a little bit more in the lower range as you get in a higher range, you'll see more bubbles uh, coming up. Um, this is a great technique when you make a stock where you don't want to boil it. As you if you go back to one of my first uh, podcasts uh, that I talked about uh, stocks and I mentioned in there that you definitely don't want to boil a stock because it can make it very cloudy. So you want to use the simmering method uh, uh, for making your stocks. And we're using convection here as our method of heat transfer. And then we have the boiling method, which most of you are familiar with. At sea level, uh, boiling happens at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. We know these are rapid bubbles that are occurring, and foods, once again, are cooked through convection. We're going to use boiling uh, for foods that can handle the high heat, that actually need the high heat, such as uh, cooking pasta. Or if you were to blanch vegetables, uh, par-cook them. Uh, You would want very, very hot water to get those vegetables uh, cooked as quickly as possible and then get them out and put them into an ice bath. Once again, we're using the convection method. And our last method uh, in the moist heat cooking method is called steaming. Um, once we get liquids heated above 212 degrees, they begin to turn into steam, right or uh, of those uh, hot water vapor and our food is actually cooked by those hot water vapors. And obviously, I'm sure most of you are familiar, when it comes to steaming, you have to keep your foods and the steam inside of something with a lid, uh, such as a pot with a lid, and then something to lift the food away from the boiling water, such as a rack, or they sell steamers, you know, that you can buy in a commercial kitchens that work excellent. Um, steaming, once again, you want to use foods that are a little bit more delicate in nature, um... And there's also a technique um, that you may uh, hear. It's called en papillote. And that's basically where we are going to cook foods through the steaming method. But we're going to use a parchment paper. And we're going to make a pouch with aromatics like vegetables and fresh herbs, a little bit of wine, a little bit of butter. And you might put some fish in there. And you basically wrap it inside of parchment paper and make sure it's sealed shut. And you would bake that in the oven. And that parchment paper... Keeps all the moisture trapped inside and steams uh, the food. Very cool uh, cooking method, and um, it's not really done a lot anymore. Um, classically, if foods were cooked this way, they would actually take it right from the oven, bring it, uh, put it onto a plate, and they would actually bring it and they would serve it tableside. They would actually open up this pouch; all the steam and the flavor would come out. Um, in front of the guests and they could get this great aroma of their food and they would take the food out or sometimes even just serve it in the parchment paper or sometimes they would take the food out put on a plate and serve it. Okay so that's our moist heat cooking methods and then to finish up we have our combination cooking methods. Once again just a reminder on this foods are always started with a dry heat cooking method because once we add moisture in we cannot go back and sear them anymore so Um, whatever it is that you're making, you always use dry heat method first. So in this case, uh, there's two different, uh, cooking techniques, stewing and braising. Stewing in stewing foods are cut into smaller pieces. If you're familiar with lamb stew, beef stew, something along those lines, you'll know that the pieces of meat are cut into smaller pieces and our food products are completely submerged in the cooking liquid. And obviously, we need to use low heat and plenty of moisture. And what's great about the low heat and plenty of moisture is it helps to break down tougher pieces of meat. And as the cartilage breaks down, the liquid begins to become very, very flavorful. um, And you get this end product that tastes amazing. So that's stewing. And then on the other hand, we have braising. So braising is generally for more larger cuts of meat. Uh, here, our liquid is only going to come halfway up the food product. Usually you would sear off your large piece of meat. Maybe you would, if you're going to do a, oh, a pork butt to do some pulled pork, you might sear the pork butt. Then you would add in your braising liquid about halfway up. Once again, you, I usually cover when I'm braising with a cartouche, the parchment lid, and then I'll wrap it with foil or I'll put a tight covering lid on there. You can add in aromatics, you know, mirepoix, fresh herbs, bay leaf, things like that. And then you are going to cook it. Usually braising is done in the oven and stewing is done on the stovetop. Doesn't mean you can't cook a stew in the oven. Doesn't mean you can't braise on top of the stove, but generally that's the way that that's going to happen. Well, braising is probably one of my favorite techniques uh, for cooking out of almost all of them because what's left behind in the braising liquid from all the flavorful um, you know cartilage and connective tissue and things like that has start to that has broken down from the meat that's made it very tender the fat has rendered off some of it you have this extremely flavorful braising liquid you can strain it add in you can re- or you can reduce down the braising liquid or you could add in a, a thickening agent and you end up with this amazing sauce that you can serve with uh, your, uh, super tender braised foods. Well, I hope you enjoyed, uh, this week's podcast on cooking methods. As always, you can check me out on Facebook at Chef's Table Podcast. I'm always open for new ideas, uh, for podcasts. And if you know anybody who would be an excellent guest, please let me know.